the forces that that socialize them are often going to be much more powerful than what we can achieve with them in 12 weeks you know yeah. if they if they are going into a school where they're not really mentored um around physical education and they're seeing um well potentially no physical education where it's invisible or maybe it consists of jump jam or cross country or you know food pyramids and so on um yeah. then you know often we can do all we like in 12 weeks but sometimes that that is actually more powerful unfortunately you know especially when it's year after year so so that profession it can't all sit with um, initial teacher education it needs to be ongoing I think You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With automated self-grading quizzes after every video, My Study Series ensures students receive immediate feedback on their level of understanding. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 71 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log, where we share stories from outstanding leaders, educators and influencers who are challenging the status quo. I'm your host Carl Kondaloff and I'm joined again by my co-host Celia Flett. Now Celia, this episode goes live the morning of the Waikato Big Day Out, which is a professional learning day where a bunch of health and PE teachers are getting together to upskill and grow a bit. Um, I'm presenting there and today's guest Kylie is also presenting. I was going to ask you, do you miss these big PL days and getting together with like-minded physical educators? Because it doesn't really happen in the role that you're in. No, it, it well, it happens differently. But yeah, I totally miss these big days. And I think um, especially when it's a real good secondary PE vibe, like I really miss that because the days that I'm involved in are very primary focused at the moment um so yeah very envious of all the corridor that will be happening this week yeah i i, I like the the talking and the sessions and the presenting and and the dialogue that's generated in these sessions but there's just something about physical educators and secondary that they just like to have a lot of fun and there's just so much fun and banter and i just don't imagine any other learning area having the same sort of shared experiences that we do no, I totally agree. And I even think from, you know, days when we were both involved in the sport and education project and bringing groups of teachers together for that from across different learning areas. And you could always kind of tell the phys eders and then the non-phys eders, um, not to not to say there aren't some totally totally good people involved in other curriculum areas because there are and there are a lot of good fun and a lot of good value so episode 71 with with kylie thompson now i thought it was really interesting that you spoke around threshold concepts again because we had touched on on that previously in the episode with amy coco and she's she's the person um she's part of the team organizing uh, the big day out 
So you you mentioned that you were at a workshop and and you came up with this threshold concept. I, I, this whole idea of threshold concepts just fascinates me. And um, hearing you talk about it and hearing Kylie go through it again really even unpacked it more for me. Have you had an opportunity to use any sort of th threshold concepts in the work that you do? No, I haven't because when I've grappled with them before and done some work with them before with Anne Mackay and with Kylie, um, it's always been in that secondary context. And like I said, I'm now working very much in that primary space and supporting primary teachers. And I'd wondered fleetingly what it could potentially look like or mean in a primary context and yeah and it wasn't until just the other day the day I was interviewing Kylie when these other teachers came up with this statement and I suddenly thought that's a perfect threshold concept for that primary age um, student so yeah Definitely something I'm going to hopefully give some more thought to and try and maybe do some work with um, people around. If you can wrap these thresholds around, it can make something so exciting and so much more meaningful for our learners. So um, the more and more I hear about them, and we need to get Anne Mackay on the podcast because she's just going to bring in more perspective of these threshold concepts. Um, that would be really exciting. It's it's just uh, I really enjoy hearing and, and talking about them. The other thing that was really interesting in your episode was you talked about specialist PE teachers in primary school, and you said you were against it. And I probably uh, lean towards your your perspective, but at the end of the day, if the experiences that our primary school children are getting, and and a, and a specialist PE teacher could come in and support that and help uh, improve the delivery of PE, is that is that not a good thing? Um, it's possibly a good thing. It's possibly a good. Is, but I, at the end of the day, my feeling is that the teacher that's in front of those kids knows them the best. And so in a primary context, that's their classroom teacher that's with them day in and day out, and they know their kids the best. And also, I mean, you probably know, I've spoken about it a lot, that whole kind of concept of a connected curriculum and not operating in learning area silos is um, something that I'm really passionate about. So if we can keep that happening in primary and support primary teachers to just become more confident and competent in that health and PE learning area, um, then I think all those experiences for for young people can be much richer yeah I, I think you're right and that whole idea of of teaching in isolation is is so far removed from what good teaching practice should be like these days so you know the more we can avoid that and the more we can embrace that de-siloed integrated approach where everybody and everyone is connected um that, that's going to be much better so lots of gems in this episode lots of takeaways and you cover a lot of concepts and ideas uh, so i think we'll jump straight into episode 71 with you and kylie thompson
Kia ora, Kylie. Thank you so much for joining me this evening for this podcast episode. Um, really cool and to have you and really looking forward to this uh, kōrero. Um, I believe currently you are still based in Kirikiriroa, Hamilton, but soon to be heading back to Tamaki Makoto, the super city that is Auckland. Perhaps you just might like to start the podcast by telling uh, us a little bit about yourself and your teaching experience and how you've got to where you are now and, and this next step that you're going to be taking shortly. Yeah, awesome. Oh, kia ora, Celia. Thanks for that. Um, that is right. I am still um, down here at the University of Waikato. Um, however, my days are numbered, so I'm heading back up to Auckland um, in a couple of weeks to start a new role at AUT, so I'm really excited about that. I'm not so excited about heading back to the land of traffic, um, <laughs> so that, that's a bit of a bummer, because um, I've really enjoyed the sort of 10, 15 minute drives into work and, and just that sort of smaller crew of people down here in Hamilton, which has been really lovely. Um, in terms of, you know, providing a bit of information about myself, I guess um, I feel like, I'm a bit of an old hat in this kind of health and PE world now. Um, probably been around, oh, I came out of te into teaching about 20 or so years ago now and started off at um, Epsom Girls Grammar up in Auckland. Um, was a foundation staff member at Albany Senior High School, which was a really awesome experience too. Um, so I've been at HOD, I have been a PENS advisor at one stage, which was um, a really awesome professional learning experience for me. Um, done some stuff with NZQA and moderated, which again was fantastic professional learning. If anyone ever gets that opportunity, people often roll their eyes and say they can't believe you would opt to kind of mark all day, but it's, it's not actually like that. It is a bit more exciting than just that. Um, and yeah, and entered the tertiary world at Unitech up in Auckland, uh, did a few years teaching there and um, currently teaching an initial teacher education down here in Waikato. What attracted you to that move from teaching in the secondary setting to teaching in the tertiary setting? Good question. I'm not so much sure it was anything that necessarily attracted me, but perhaps it sort of just sort of occurred and snowboard. I, I think um, initially I did a semester at the University of Auckland when I was teaching at Epsom Girls. Um, I think it was Wayne Smith actually and, and it might have been Alan went on leave and they needed someone to fill in. So I, I sort of um, thought that would be really cool to come out of school for a short time and experience tertiary. Um, I really really enjoyed that but then went back in and I think that was really important for me too was that this idea of sort of coming out and going back in has been really um, really good for me. I think no one in tertiary would deny that the flexibility is a real appeal for us um, you know when you're working in a, in a school environment it can be fairly rigid with your um, the classes and all the extracurricular pressures and things that go on and I was probably ready to start looking at doing some research, um, having some flexibility to drive some of my own projects and things as well. Um, but then the opportunity of coming down here to Waikato was 
amazing for me because it was my first experience in initial teacher education directly. So working with future teachers um, across, you know, primary and secondary sectors has been a real appeal for me. And your new role, what does that entail? Um, it'll be quite similar to the role that I hold here. I'll be point two with the School of Education at AUT. So I'll be working with um, the graduate diploma students who will be um, training in health and PE in secondary context. And so that will involve, you know, ensuring that I'm going out and, and observing them in practicums, which I'm, you know, I love that part of the role. You get to um, head into lots of different schools and connect with lots of different teachers. Um, and also the other point eight, working in the health and PE major in the School of Sport and Recreation. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Just can you, do you ever think about, can you ever see yourself going back into secondary in terms of teaching in secondary again? Yeah, um, it's a funny thing with with phys ed, isn't it? Because I do wonder sometimes whether you start to feel a bit old for the role. And I kind of slap myself when I say that because I, when I was um, teaching at Epsom Girls, you know, I taught with um, a woman there who was definitely considered one of the more experienced staff members. And I consider, you know, I probably learnt the most from her that I've ever probably, you know, learnt from a teacher. And when I watched her with students, um, you know, she would. She was just a fantastic teacher, and um, really, that whole thing of it's it's probably a bit of an assumption that we sort of think you've got to get out of PE and and move into a lot of us, I guess, move into senior leadership when we stay in schools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so there is a little bit of that that I think about sometimes. Um, I feel at the moment though that I've got quite a bit more to do in tertiary that I haven't quite achieved yet I've just enrolled in a PhD too and I think that would be almost impossible to do oh, while wow. school yeah yeah absolutely do you have have you kind of identified your focus for your PhD yeah I have I'm, I'm really keen to look at um, social and emotional learning in a PE context um, so quite keen to explore you know, how we make sense of those social, emotional and moral capabilities that we teach in PE. Um, and then potentially, you know, I'm really keen to identify a few schools who might be interested in working with me on um, a case study approach or action research approach to improving the teaching of those capabilities. Uh, that's probably quite a nice segue into um, the question that I kind of sent through to you on that in terms of I'm really interested in your thoughts around this and, and the role that movement in PE might play in contributing to social and emotional learning. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a really interesting one because PE's long been associated with these sorts of learning intentions, you know, that, that um, if we think about getting young people to recognise and manage their emotions, um, you know, establish healthy relationships, setting goals and all those sorts of things, making responsible decisions and so on. Um, so I think it has a really big role to play in terms of, um, you know, when we look at bringing our curriculum to life. Um, 
however, you know, the more I think about it and, and look at it, I, I still have got some really big questions. And I, you know, I know Celia, you and I engaged in a little bit debate of debate around, you know, whether that needs to happen explicitly, mm. um, you know, through some really deliberate planning um, around the skills and knowledge relating to those capabilities, um, or whether it's more effective through things like play and more implicit sort of learning. Yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, in the role that I am at the moment in supporting the Healthy Active Learning Initiative, which is supporting primary and intermediate schools and, and teachers, um, you oft, we, we often hear from them that that social and emotional learning is of huge importance and a huge need for, for young people at the moment, but they don't as quickly see the connection or the potential of the health and PE curriculum to support that. And it's really interesting just having to take the time to really, I guess, unpack our holistic curriculum area and, and see where that potential lies. Mm. I know. I I find that so bloody frustrating because I think I totally agree. And I think we, um, you know, for Fazetas, we fight, you know, we quite often find ourselves either in staff rooms or, you know, you know, out with friends and things where we're constantly trying to educate people about the um, value of our curriculum area, especially when it comes to social and emotional learning. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it is like you say, it is really valued by people. But for some reason, um, even when we do try and make that link explicit, I'm not sure people are always buying into it. I think we're always, you know, looking for the next kind of initiative that's out there, um, you know, that may not necessarily sit within our curriculum when actually it it may have been in front of us all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the same with well-being right like a huge focus and priorities for schools and that's been sitting within our curriculum area for years and um yet that connection same is not that readily seen often yeah yeah and well-being such a buzzword at the moment isn't it i mean we've got the well-being budget we've got um whole school well-being initiatives that schools you know will talk about quite a lot um well-being and curriculum leads yeah <laughs> notions of well-being and our learning area and then we've got well-being initiatives that are coming into schools from outside agencies and so you know i think you make a really good point and and when we look at the the big picture i think Actually, sometimes there's some risks um, with well-being, that term being so ubiquitous at the moment. You know, it starts to blur and and people lose, can potentially lose a sense of um, where we're trying to head when there's at times some competing, um, you know, demands there. Yeah, when you say risks, do you think risks to our learning area? Yeah, I think that the way that sometimes people might understand well-being in a general sense can be different to the way that we understand well-being in the curriculum. Yeah. Um, I think with it, 
being picked up so readily that sometimes there's just not the process that maybe as educators that we've gone through and really had a critical lens over well-being and looked at how you know things like healthism and so on may play into our conceptions of well-being and I, so I think that can be a risk um, and I think sometimes it can be kind of everywhere but maybe nowhere <laughs> you know when we hear it so much and we're not quite sure you know what what are we actually doing in this space when there's so many people wanting a piece of the pie? Um, you know, for me, I would love to see the curriculum space um, be the centre of the pie and actually, um, you know, everyone working in with organisations like NZHEA and PENS and teachers and educators who understand the health and PE curriculum as a kind of central um, point yeah yeah absolutely and i think um i think like I, I think you'd nailed it on the head then when you said you know it, you know in terms of it being everywhere and but but nowhere um i think that speaks mm. to a lot of kind of where many schools are at where many teachers are at um perhaps with it and and you speak about that criticality and i think sometimes because it is a buzzword, because it is perhaps seen as the, the the latest thing, that there isn't that critical lens always put over it in terms of, okay, well, actually, let's look at some of our current practices and how are they supporting well-being um, or, or not supporting well-being. So, yeah, very interesting mm. space. Yeah, I mean, I think when we introduce... Um, you know, the curriculum to our, our students in, in the university setting. It's really interesting their, the way they conceptualise the term. And, and I think um, often for them when they hear well-being, they consider their role a kind of fix-it approach to well-being. And so one of the, you know, the big sort of first steps that we try and introduce them to is to understand um you know the complexities of young people and that actually having a teacher assume that they know what's going to be you know best for someone's well-being is not always the right first step and that then you know on top of that thinking um you know we are going to fix you <laughs> um is a is a common misunderstanding that I've come across um, and it's but it's really cool to see the growth in students you know when when people are exposed to conversations and discussions with a critical lens um, you know it's so I, I get a real um, you know I love seeing that progression that students make. Yeah yeah that whole idea of kind of there being a problem that needs to be fixed is something that needs to really be challenged, isn't it? And I think, um, again, with the healthy active learning workforce, um, they've had to be very mindful that they don't go in um, to support teachers with that attitude that they have to, that they're going in to mm -hmm. fix something. So we've been working really hard to come from a strength-based approach in terms of, you know, how can we strengthen these practices? How can we improve what's currently hap happening in the in the school setting? Mm. But that, I mean, again, that's why I think it was so important to have someone like you involved in this project, Celia. You know, it's really reassuring to know that um, a strong physical educator has a, a leadership role there and that actually the Ministry of Education 
you know, are, are connecting with Sport New Zealand. And there's, you know, these types of partnerships where the curriculum is is actually referred to and it, and it seems to be quite central in what you're doing with that healthy active learning, I think is really, really important. Yeah, thank you. Um, again, kind of talking about the whole fix it, I, and through my role a lot, but even prior to that, um, I'm often challenged by people that we need to fix the health and PE component of initial teacher education, which you're very much part of, obviously. Um, so why, why do you think people have this view? Um, do you think it's an accurate view? Mm. Yeah, um, I can understand why people have that view. And I know even, you know, we've just finished um, teaching out the semester and we, we, get our students to evaluate the course and to, to provide some feedback. And one of the most common things they say to us is, you know, well, I just never realised how important this learning area was. I didn't understand it. I didn't even, um, you know, I didn't acknowledge what it was all about and wasn't actually interested in, in acknowledging it. It's a compulsory one semester um, paper down here in the Bachelor of Primary Teaching at the University of Waikato. So they get one semester, which equates to about 12 weeks, um, looking at health and physical education together in one paper. Um, and, you know, and they'll often say to us, we think this, we need more, you know, we should, we should be having more of this, it's so important. Um, so I think... You know, in many cases, there's some advocating that needs to happen within the universities, and that means educating um, decision makers, you know, in these programs when, when we're working out timetables and, you know, the heads of programs and things there. Um, because I don't think that, you know, a one-semester paper and a three-year degree is going to prepare um, teachers for what they need to be prepared for if we want quality physical education in the schools especially in primary schools um, and you know that that's even smaller when you think about um, the numbers of students who are enrolling in the one-year graduate diploma courses so that you know they're really ending up with a couple of two to three hour block courses yeah. in health and PA and then they're in schools um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I absolutely understand, um, you know, people's frustration at the initial teacher training. Um, but I also think there are some people doing some really fantastic work in this space in New Zealand currently. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the other issues is that it can't just stop, <laughs> you know, so it needs to be ongoing. And um as a teacher moves into a school, I think um, the forces that, that socialise them are often going to be much more powerful than what we can achieve with them in 12 weeks. You know, yeah. if, they, if they are going into a school where they're not really mentored um, around physical education and they're seeing, um, well, potentially no physical education where it's invisible or maybe it consists of jump jam or cross country or, you know, food pyramids and so on. Um, yeah then, you know, often we can do all we like in 12 weeks, but sometimes that that is actually more powerful, unfortunately, you know, especially when it's year after year. So so that profession, it can't all sit with um, initial teacher education. It needs to be ongoing, I think. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I I totally agree, and that's that's often my response to in terms of um, you know what what I hear of in terms of what is um, available in that initial teacher education. While it might not be the time that we'd like to see given to it, there's some amazing stuff happening. But then that can often be. Um, un, undone even um, as these um, uh, student teachers, teacher trainees go into their placements. I remember last year coming across a couple of your students, Kylie, um, I was running a teacher workshop and they attended because I think they were doing your your distance learning. Was, is that right? Did oh, you have a right. Yeah, yeah. So they were doing your distance learning. They loved your paper, not surprisingly, but they were then going into their school that they went into one day a week for the for the year, I think. Um, and what they were exposed to there just sounded horrible and mm. they weren't really in a position to influence, like, you know, obviously, or change or even practice a lot of what you were talking about so um that's where i think you know the again this cross-government initiative that has got the support from the ministry of education around um that ongoing professional development for teachers our beginning teachers our not beginning teachers um in this curriculum area is so important so that actually then the practice that is happening in primary schools is good practice everywhere for all young people and for all teachers. And, and then that's what our um, teacher trainees will see and, and have reinforced. Mm. And, I mean, gosh, the job of a primary teacher, you know, for us oh, as yeah. second, initially secondary yeah. educators, you have to take your hat off to them. I mean, I just think it is massive across all of the learning areas it's so so broad and there's so many competing desires that they're you know working up against um and so yeah i i think it's again that i often um have debates with kirsten petrie at work and we have a laugh about that you know whether we should be looking at specialist health and pe teachers is that a good thing is it a bad thing um you know, how realistic is it actually that a primary teacher can um, have a, a really in-depth understanding? Because it's quite complicated, actually, our curriculum. If you really, if we think, you know, right through all the underlying concepts, all those sorts of things that we that we actually need to understand if we're going to teach quality physical education. Um, yeah, I don't, I sometimes I actually, you know, find myself really empathising and, and kind of saying, well, well, gosh, there's so much to take on. You know, can you really can you really blame some of these teachers um, when they're being pushed in all sorts of different directions? And of course, you know, literacy and numeracy and national standards and all those sorts of things haven't helped either. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I. It's interesting that that conversation around you know, specialist PE teachers in perhaps that primary and intermediate space. And and personally, I, I just I just really love that whole connected curriculum approach mm. and, and not siloing off our subject areas. And that's where I'd like to see secondary schools move to doing more as, as many are doing a fantastic job of. So I don't know, personally, I kind of not like to see then that specialist teacher role filter into um, 
primary and intermediates, but um, but you're right, it is a it is a huge thing to to um, to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Um, now, speaking of huge things to grapple with, um, Carl recently interviewed Amy Coco, and she uh, spoke with him briefly around these threshold concepts, um, <laughs> often referred to as troublesome knowledge, but in and of themselves, they can be. Um, really troublesome. So, can you perhaps break down for us a little bit this this idea of threshold concepts? Yeah, yeah. They um, it's just making me think of the last presentation we did with some of the um, the Rotatuna teaching staff at Pens, and and I know we're only on audio. I can't think of how to describe that um, movement, but someone, one of the delegates, sort of sat there and did that motion with the hands of where your mind is blown. <laughs> And, yeah, yeah. And Shay sort of had a laugh and said to us, "Do you think that's because they were blown away about how exciting it was, or did they just not understand where we were going?" <laughs> said, oh well, hope you know. Hopefully, it's a little bit of both, and not yeah. one. Um, yeah. So, I guess in terms of um, you know, my interest in threshold concepts came from working with Anne Mackay back at, in Unitech days, and and we were just sort of chewing the fat about the types of senior PE programs we were seeing and hearing about in schools, and so at the time we noticed there were so many being driven by NCA standards, and so you know you saw units being referred to as we're doing one point two or we're doing one point three, yeah. and and in lots of cases you know we we thought, well, teachers would complain about um, students playing the credit, you know, crunching game and and that perhaps they had lost that kind of intrinsic curiosity to learn and we're only doing things if they counted for credits and so on. Um, so we were starting to work with some schools around exploring alternative approaches to program design. Um, and we knew we needed to start with the big question of what does it mean to be physically educated? And so not just at a a superficial level, but what were all the nuances that were important to kind of capture in a program development process? Um, And that kind of took us to looking at some of the research and literature by Eric uh, Meyer and Ray Land, and they're sort of the founding um, fathers of threshold concepts, if you like, in the UK. Um, And basically they um, look at threshold concepts as being the concepts that are central to being proficient in our learning area. That's probably the most basic way I can kind of explain them. So for us, um, what are the concepts that are central to being physically educated? And, you know, I still think that's a really powerful question for a department to sit down and consider. but for lots of reasons, we were noticing that that was hardly ever the starting point. Um, instead, we were hearing questions like, you know, how should we teach that standard? Um, what context should we use for 3.1 and so on? Um, so, yeah, threshold concepts kind of represent this transformed way of understanding something. Um And in terms of the troublesome side of them, the idea is that... Um, they're thresholds because they're they're learning that requires students to um, maybe access previously inaccessible ways of thinking about health and PE. So sometimes it's stuff that can be counterintuitive or alien to what they might already think or know. And I think Amy might have spoken to to Carl about um, 
a threshold concept being any anyone can lead. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so that to me is a, a really good example of a threshold concept in PE and, and um it's it's transformative and it's troublesome. Um because you know if you think about the view of leadership that society projects you know to young people um it's not anyone can lead often you know we think about school prefects um we favor extroverts we um you know if we think about criteria at prize givings and so on and and so that that version of leadership becomes taken taken for granted if you like and um, you know, some students get told that they're leaders and, and people are born leaders or natural leaders. And, you know, all the research we're familiar with always rubbishes that idea about leadership. So so for students to genuinely traverse a, a threshold concept, then it's it, it, they're in this, they call it liminal space, but basically they, are, you know, it requires them to um, challenge their own assumptions about, you know, for that example about leadership and, and to look at um, things from different perspectives and question things and so on. So hopefully that opens the door then and it's transformative because they might start to understand things like self-leadership and um, situational leadership and so on. So so it really was using those concepts as the um, the central focus for designing programs rather than, um, you know, maybe starting with an achievement standard. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and to be fair, it's a big thing to ask you to talk about on a podcast because I've had the benefit of um, doing some work with Anne Mackay around this myself and also listening to you and the Roger Turner team talk about this at conference and and it's still like, like you said, kind of mind blowing. It, it really like hurts your brain, gives your brain a really good workout. But um, to see it kind of, or to try and kind of understand it without any kind of visuals. But I think you've captured it really well. And I'll tell you another example that I was so excited driving home in the car about this today because I knew I was going to be talking to you. So I hadn't realized when you spoke before about how it had kind of started for you and and coming from that conversational that question around what does it mean to be physically educated but mm. that was what that was a question today I posed um some primary school teachers at a workshop oh cool and, yeah and so I was asking them to think about that from their kids point of view and and I kind of said to them what would you like for them to be able to do know and understand mm. bef- you know perhaps by the end of year six by the end of the year eight by the time they kind of leave your particular school setting and one of the groups, these two, these two ladies, they came up with this. They would like their students to understand that you don't have to be a winner to be a winner. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, like, there's a threshold concept right there. Do you think? Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and you know, it's it's that's a great example because. Recently, I've been thinking, you know, more about how do you identify these threshold concepts? And I think as a teacher, it's almost about back mapping the aha sort of moments we want to have with students. So yeah. if you think about what do we what do we actually want to be supporting our students to learn? And, you know, when they actually have that, you know, we've all seen it. We get goosebumps when we notice it as teachers because we feel we've actually maybe hopefully contributed to that that moment where it all clicks and suddenly they go, ah, 
and the the way they do that often they've been grappling with stuff and going back and forth and they haven't trusted and they've been stretched and you're stretching them and and so that's troublesome and and then suddenly you know I mean not necessarily always at one moment but it, there is that and that's that threshold that aha moment um and and when we're designing programs I guess threshold concepts are trying to encourage us to to work backwards from there so we can um, you know, I, I guess think more holistically about what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, exactly, which was then my kind of next challenge to them was, okay, now what if you went back to your school and you designed your terms PE program around that concept rather than large ball skills? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like how cool would that be and like and yeah just far more holistic and I and I think for them you know the the, the penny was starting to drop which was really exciting that was great a great all today I really really enjoyed it it's really cool when you have those moments where you feel like you are learning as much from the people that you know that you're working with and that's what today felt like it was really was really good yeah Cool. I mean, and the thing with that, I the other thing I love about threshold concepts is it's it's not just um, you know that you need to know this content to progress. It's actually about understanding and knowledge, ideas, it's competencies, it's dispos. You've got to have dispositions to move through that threshold. Um, you know, certain dispositions and mindsets and so on. They're all really crucial. So it, it kind of hits on so many things at once. And for us, it was a we saw it as a really great tool to think about program design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, you've been involved a little bit with the NCEA review and, and the potential changes happening there. Have you kind of got any thoughts on that you'd be interested in sharing? Oh, yeah, so... Um, it's it's obviously being stalled quite a bit with COVID this year and um and health and PE because of you know, for people that are listening, um probably aware that there at level one there was a proposal to merge health and physical education um together and provide one matrix. Um that was just a proposal, and I think there has been some misunderstanding that that decision's already been made. So um, I, I had a meeting with the ministry about a week ago, and that decision hasn't been made yet. So I guess that's maybe the first thing to clarify is that, mm. um, you know, we still need to see where this all settles. Um, yeah. But, yeah, in terms of where the change is heading um there's some you know there's really good information um with the change about the change package generally and i know there's jumbo days coming up is there around i think i have heard that see i'm a little bit out of the secondary loop at the moment but um i have heard teachers talking about that yeah yeah so i think schools um should be having these days shortly that will give a picture view of you know the the way the um, credits are being reduced or standards are being reduced, sorry. Um, but in terms of health and PE, what's happening is there's a, they're calling it a subject expert group um, and there's really only been one meeting so far of just discussing what some of um, the big ideas are in our learning area and how they might translate into um achievement standards and starting to think about um you know if we're looking at 
four standards. Um, what you know, how do we get creative about that? What's important when we're um, crafting and wording those standards to you know to ensure they meet the needs of a wide range of schools and communities? Um, and yeah, I guess for me. Um, I feel quite comfortable that this will be will continue to be a really flexible assessment system, and it, and it probably is going to sound a bit like a broken record, but it, it, the whole process has again highlighted for me um, the importance of departments. You know, if they haven't already, then making sure they quickly I, identify what's important for their students to learn. Um, rather than just <clears throat> waiting till a matrix comes out and then, you know, designing your whole program around just what's in a standard. Um, so, yeah, we're, we've got the big day, I think, is that what Amy's calling it down here at Waikato Pens, a big day out, <laughs> where we yeah. have some of those conversations about, um, you know, our programs and how we might adapt to change as assessment comes through. But, um yeah, in terms of giving you any information about, you know, what that might look like, we still are not really anywhere near there yet, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. A, good, a good opportunity, though, and do you think in terms of, um, like you said, perhaps addressing some of those um, entrenched practices in, in departments? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I would love because I, I know people are feeling nervous because I've talked to some teachers and HODs who, even when they're looking at um, their offerings within this learning area, and they're nervous that senior management might try and reduce the amount of subjects they offer and so on. So I can I can completely empathise with the uncertainty at the moment. But you know, I really encourage teachers to you know, just take a moment to think about um, kind of leading this process within their schools and then weaving the assessment in rather than, you know, flipping it around and, and letting the assessment drive everything. And I think the way the whole process is being um, designed is really trying to encourage schools to do that. And, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. My time as a, as a moderator at NZQA, one of the big things that I you know kept trying to push when I was working with schools was that you know this NZQA want you to do this they want you to tailor standards yeah. to meet your community's needs your students needs um, and they will give you you know support to do this and when we were moderating and you would see something that wasn't just a sort of TKI standard come a uh, task come through we we used to get so excited you know because people are doing some really cool things and maybe we just need to share that a little bit more yeah I totally I totally agree uh, um same when we you know I was working um across the sport and education project and that really encouraged that cross-curricular design of assessment tasks so yeah. um and and again nzqa were fully supportive but um i think there's just a lack of a lack of sharing sometimes and so people just continue with that same old but i think you know that anytime there's a process like this happening where there is um change 
our communities of practice are so important. So the Waikato Pens um, Big Day Out, any opportunity that, you know, teachers have got to go along and connect with each other and um, kind of grapple with, with the change and what it means together, I think is hugely valuable for our whole community, for our tamariki and rangatahi. And, um, you know, we need to see more of that happening um, so that we're not all just trying to do it on our own um, or reinvent the wheel. Yeah, and I and I think I know people get frustrated and um, and maybe concerned that their voice won't matter, but I I really think um, people are listening right now. You know, I know that our roles within these subject expert groups and and um, like um, we're we're acting as some of us are acting as critical friends in a sort of go between role between the ministry and our communities as well. Um, you know, we real it's really important that we hear from teachers so that we can feed that message back to the ministry. And so coming, you know, coming out to these events, the pens workshops, getting online even when people put um, you know, questions up and, and try and get debate and and even in our busy lives, it just reinforces the importance of when you've got a chance to submit on any proposals. Um, you know, there is a, a process that that has gone through and, and people, you know, they, they do have to look at your submissions and it's taken into account. So, yeah, all that advocacy stuff couldn't be more important than now, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are some of the opportunities, do you think, for health and PE as a learning area over the next, you know, five to ten years kind of thing? What what would you like to see um see happen that would make you feel really proud of being part of that community? Mm. Um, oh, I mean, there's so much I, I feel so proud of. I'm never kind of short of a, a story to, to tell, tell my students at university about some of the amazing practice I hear about and, and see. And I think, you know, I think our community are doing a fantastic job. Um, I would love to see the skills and knowledge that, you know, that we explicitly focus on our curriculum area just better understood and valued by leaders in the education world, probably. That would be something in the next five to ten years that I, I know people have been in physical education, especially we've felt marginalised for a long time. And I, and I don't know what what the kind of silver bullet is here or, or how we make this happen, but perhaps at the moment we talk about this whole well-being being such a buzzword and and people being a little bit more on board over the last few years with um you know education and calling for social emotional education and all these sorts of things um you know i, I would love to see senior management teams and principals and then policy advisors and mps and all these sorts of people really having a, a better understanding of what our curriculum has to offer yeah. um but, you know, for that to happen, we also need to take responsibility that we're able to kind of clearly articulate what we stand for. Um, and that can be difficult sometimes, too, because, um, you know, we don't always agree. <laughs> and, that, and that's sometimes a good thing as well to keep that, that healthy debate going. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, before I get to my last question for you, um, is there anything that you would like to ask me? Oh, Celia. So, <laughs> we've talked a bit about healthy, active learning, and um, 
I know we're still kind of at, at the early stages, but I am, you know, I'm quite interested in how it's been going. So, you know, just maybe if you can talk to some of the wins and some of the challenges that you're noticing so far, I'd be, you know, I'd find that quite interesting. Sure. So um, in terms of the wins, I would have to say one of the wins is the people that 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 we're investing into in terms of our workforce. So um, our, we've got an, a wonderful group of regional leads. So there's eight across eight regions across the country at the moment. And they're doing a great job leading teams of advisors. And um, pretty much all of the advisors are teacher trained and they are, they're, they're just fantastic. So that's been a real big win for me is seeing such a really capable and competent um, and really positive and energetic um, group of people involved in this mahi. Um, mm. The wins um, for them, um, you know, this, this year has been so challenging full stop for teachers, for schools, for education, for everybody with, with COVID. But um, there have still been so many opportunities that they've been able to create and, in fact, often left leverage from in terms of the challenges around COVID so in terms of keeping young people and their whānau active in terms of supporting staff and student well-being um, and in terms of that you know that teacher confidence and competence and understanding of the health and PE curriculum area that we've talked about a lot today there have just been some really good um, small wins around that you know in terms of light bulb moments like we've we've talked about as well you know we're just giving them the time and permission to look at that curriculum learning area that they haven't perhaps since they were at teachers college or you know in a long time um you know that that just brings about so much change because we've got some really good teachers out there working really really hard um, mm. and they know what quality teaching and learning looks like but sometimes through various reasons um that's that's been lost perhaps in that PE or that movement context and PE has become sport and it might even be sport delivered by the club up the road or PE has become fitness but we are seeing some really positive changes in in that regard um the challenges are still around you know that value piece that you just spoke to um if it's if it's not seen to be valued then um and and especially if it's not seen to be valued from school leadership then it's going to be very difficult to kind of see any whole school change. Um, and that's yeah. really what we're trying to affect is that whole school change. Um, yeah. So that's probably, I guess, some of the challenges. But again, a win is the fact that it is a cross-agency um, collaboration. You know, we it's not just Sport New Zealand. Um, it is Ministry of Education involved. It is Ministry of Health. Um, win and a challenge <laughs> working in that way so yeah yeah I was going to say I can imagine you know while that's that is really fantastic to have people working together then I mean there's some sort of I guess sometimes some quite fundamental things that you might that may be taking different approaches and things but yeah yeah I mean that's it's good to get all of that out in the open isn't it and to try and to work you know and have a plan around it because that's I mean that's just life <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. 
so Kylie, my last question uh, for you. We, I, I said to you at the start before we started recording that I was off to book club tonight, which I'm quite excited about. And it made me think to ask you, what was the last book you've read? Oh, the last book I read um, was a book called, it's by an Australian author, Trent Someone, and I would have to find the surname, but it's called Boy Swallows Universe. Oh, the Boy yep. Have you read that one? I haven't. It's in our book club, but I haven't yet read it. Oh, read it, read it. I mean, it's not it's not an education no. kind of specific book, but um, yeah, in terms of the complexities of young minds and, um, you know, diverse communities and neighbourhoods and things, I really enjoyed that. So it was a great read. Yeah, some of yeah. the others in book club have also recommended it, so I will definitely have to grab that Um at some stage and, and have a read yeah no it was really good well <laughs> thanks so much Kylie I have really enjoyed this uh, kōrero and um, hopefully we might get to do it again soon perhaps face to face at some stage um, it's been one of those years where there haven't been many of those opportunities but um, but I'm sure we will catch up in um, in Auckland probably now soon so all the best for your for your move uh, back north and um, thanks so much for your contribution to the podcast cool no worries thanks Celia it's been heaps of fun kia ora Kylie